Now we're going to look at the Word of God together. Psalm uh, 23 is our text. And here's God's Word for us today. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Pray with me again, friends. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for being our good shepherd, Lord. Help us now, we pray, that we might learn and be encouraged in your word. And it's in Christ's holy name we pray again. Amen. You know, we sometimes fail to appreciate what is familiar. You get used to things. You get accustomed to things. And so you take things for granted. But then every once in a while, something happens. It happens and changes your life. And all of a sudden, you come to a special appreciation for a thing that you've had or a thing that you've known all along. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just think about how much we miss the opportunity right now to gather together with friends and be normal and sociable together. This, this virus outbreak has made us realize how much we love being together. I, I miss so much hearing the voices of all of our congregations singing together and just the, the, the sweet spiritual joy of being together in one room with the people of God. We take the normal for granted until it sometimes isn't with us anymore. Well, at certain moments in life, the things that seem ordinary and familiar really do become treasures to us. And today, as we look at Psalm 23, we're looking at a passage of Scripture that is is very familiar. You guys know this passage. But don't pretend that it's ordinary. But I'll give you this caution. If you know this psalm, it's really way too easy for you to forget just how special a text like this really is. You know, throughout the Bible, there are a lot of images that God uses to describe Jesus. And in Psalm 23, he's called our good shepherd. Now, right away, I'll give you a heads up. When I've taught this passage before, I've said this as well. I don't want to spend this time giving you a long lecture on all of the intricacies of being a shepherd or or how it works to herd sheep. That's not really the point of this psalm. Instead, what I want us to do is I want us to connect to the Lord Jesus in this psalm. He is the Lord, our shepherd. And so I want to ask you a question, even before we get started here, even before we really dig into what we're doing, is Jesus your shepherd? That's a really important question. A shepherd is someone who takes care of you. A shepherd is someone in whom you trust. So is Jesus your shepherd? If you're in God's family, if you're a true Christian, Jesus is your shepherd. And that should give you great hope. In John 10, 14, and 15, passages that Josiah read for us earlier, 
Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Well, this morning, we're going to study, and we're going to find six points about following Jesus as your shepherd. And they should be encouraging, and they should be challenging, but they're only applicable for people who know that they're in a relationship with Jesus. So if you're in Christ, I want you to follow along and I want you to apply these points to your own heart. But if you're not yet in Christ, I want you to follow along and see some of the things that you're missing and let these points make you consider a lot more seriously the love of Christ. Now, I almost forgot to do this, so I have to kind of stop here while we're going. And I want to say, because I know there's a lot of families who are watching. There are families with little ones, like my own over there. And so I want to give you a second to, to know something. If your little ones are with you, I would love it if you had something for them to write on or to draw on. And I don't know, Owen, you might even want to get something you can draw on if you want to. It's okay. Because when we study this psalm, besides writing some words down as notes... This would be one of the best psalms ever for a young one to draw a picture because there are going to be pictures that you can get from this and maybe they'll make you remember the psalm really well. So if you have little ones with you and they are listening in right now, I don't, I don't want you guys to think I've forgotten about you, okay? This is comforting. God wants you to be comforted by this. And so you might, you might want to draw a picture of what you think about during this. And if you do, I want you to know that Miss Mitzi will want to see them because she'll tell me about them. I, 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 I would want to see them, but it won't work for me. But Mitzi will see them and she'll tell me all about them, okay? So maybe later this week we can get a great little Facebook thread going of our people and our little ones showing us their artwork from things they learn from this song, okay? Now, I've stalled long enough, so if you're in your house, you should be able to find something to draw on. But there are six points for you grown-ups who are going to write them down, okay? And every one of our points begins with the phrase, since God is your shepherd, do this, okay? Or think this. So since God is your shepherd. The first one is, since God is your shepherd, trust him to supply your needs. Since God is your shepherd, trust him to supply your needs Look at verse 1. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How familiar is that opening line? But it makes an incredible statement. It says that the Lord, Yahweh, is the psalmist's shepherd. You know, when you read the Old Testament of the Bible and you see the word Lord with all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you guys see that in there in, in verse 1? How it says capital letters with all the word Lord, that is the Bible translators telling you that the writer has used the name of God. It's not just Lord like master in that instance. It actually is the name of God, Yahweh. Um, sometimes in years gone by, you have heard people use the word Jehovah trying to pronounce the word for the name of God, but it's really probably better Yahweh. And when writers use the name Yahweh, 
It was intended for you to understand that this is the God who was in covenant relationship with Israel. This is the God who supplied their needs, who won their victories. This is the God who promised David that one of his descendants is going to reign on the throne of the universe forever. This is the God who promised all humanity that there would be a Savior who would crush the devil and bring us forgiveness for our sins. So when we're talking about this God, the Lord, that's a big deal. We're not talking about just any God anybody can imagine. There's only one God who can be your shepherd. And I said to you earlier that Jesus is our shepherd. And that's true, right? David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And what should you learn from that? The Lord and Jesus are the same person. So when you see in the Old Testament, that the Lord did a thing, you should attribute that action to Jesus. When you see that the Lord has certain character qualities, you need to recognize that Jesus has the same character qualities. Because Jesus is not a good, just a good man who came, who was on earth. Jesus is the Lord God come to earth. He is God the Son. He is the Lord. And many times in the Bible, the, uh, we see in the New Testament that things, verses that apply to Yahweh are clearly said to be true of Jesus. Now, here's something else that's cool. It might feel a little funny for David to call Jesus his shepherd. Because what does that mean? If David is calling Jesus his shepherd, what is David calling himself? A sheep. My Old Testament professor in seminary, when he taught us this, the, uh, some things about the Psalms, he said that this almost feels like a cartoon because we see human actions that are being performed by a sheep. And that may feel a little funny. That may give you guys some ideas on how you might want to draw some of this, by the way. David says, because God is his shepherd, he will not want. Now, that doesn't mean David's never going to desire something or long for something. What it means is that David is never going to lack anything good he really needs. Matthew Henry, a Puritan pastor and an author, wrote this about this. He said, quote, More is implied than is expressed. Not only I shall not want but I shall be supplied with whatever I need. And if I have not everything I desire, I may conclude it is either not fit for me or not good for me, or I shall have it in due time. So what do you not have that you truly need? What do you truly need that God cannot supply? When God is the one taking care of you as one of his sheep, one thing is for sure. You will never lack for anything that you really need. Let that comfort your heart and give you peace and make you love the idea that God is not just a savior and a judge. God's not just a sacrificial lamb. God is also your shepherd who provides for you everything you could ever need. Now, second point. Since God is your shepherd, rest during times of peace. Since God is your shepherd, rest during times of peace. Look at verses two to the beginning of verse three. Say, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. You know, green pastures 
and still waters. They may be a little unfamiliar to those of us who live out here in the desert, but I grew up around a lot of green pastures and a lot of waters. Green pastures and still waters for a sheep are places of safety. They're places of provision. They're comfortable and restful places. The Lord is a good shepherd. He is kind and gentle to us so often. And he offers us comfort during times of trial. And he offers us security. And he offers us safety. Now for us, this may not mean that your life is always going to be easy or always going to be physically safe. God doesn't promise us that. But it means this. If you are in Christ, you have eternal spiritual safety and an everlasting rest awaiting you. You have hope for tomorrow because you can be secure in your shepherd. And there are going to be points in your life, Christians, when you get great, sweet moments of rest, when the presence of God is with you and you can just tell and you just feel for a time at your ease. Rest, safety, and provision here, it shows us something of the character of the shepherd. He loves his own. He loves to give us the shelter that we so desperately need. Think about the way a good father loves his child. Again, a good father may not always make things easy for his son, but a good father will always give his child as much overall safety and security as he can. God's a good father. God's a good shepherd. He will care for his own. And when the psalmist here then says, he restores my soul, there's more than one picture that could be here. The idea could be that he restores to the psalmist his strength. See, sometimes life gets full and things get difficult and it can just sap your strength. I bet some of you know about that right now, how, how fatiguing worry and weird schedules can be. And it doesn't matter whether you're a high school student or a mom or a dad, whether you work nine to five or three to 11 or whatever, you know what it's like to have the routine of daily life just sap your energy until it feels like there's nothing left. And in times like that, this Psalm is telling us you can go to God, your good shepherd, and receive from him the rest and the comfort of green pastures and still waters. And when he gives you that rest, he restores your soul and he helps you keep going. Well, when God gives you that kind of restoration, don't, don't use that time to worry about what's to come. Life is going to get harder. There's no doubt about it. But when you are in a season of rest, receive it gratefully from God and rest during a time of peace. I bet some of us right now think back to ourselves and think, wow, a couple of months ago, it was pretty peaceful compared to today. Learn that when those times come, rejoice in them to the glory of God. Now, point number three, since God is your shepherd, follow him toward righteousness. Follow him toward righteousness. Look at verse three again. It says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There's another possible way you can understand the line, he restores my soul. 
I said it might mean to you, for you to, to understand that God gives you your strength back. But the other option is that he restores the soul from the guilt of sin. The fact is, folks, not one of us is a good person deep down. I mean, again, many of you are nice people. Don't get me wrong about that. But none of us is perfect, right? If you and I were to judge each other based on each other's lives, we'd probably all come out okay, most of us. But we're not the ones who judge each other. We are judged by a God who is absolutely, infinitely perfect. He cannot tolerate sin. He cannot tolerate even the slightest imperfection. Since God's perfection is infinite, that means forever, never-ending, our sin is infinitely offensive to God. So the idea that this same infinite and holy God would restore our soul from guilt, that's as good a news as you could ever hear. But besides restoring your soul, God leads his followers, he leads his sheep like a shepherd along paths of righteousness. He's the one that makes righteousness. Do you get that? When you think about something and ask, is it right or is it wrong? What makes it right or what makes it wrong is whether God declares it right or wrong. He is the ultimate who sets the standard. He is not measured by a standard. God determines what righteousness is. So if you follow the God who made you and who loves you, if you follow God like good sheep following a shepherd down a pathway marked righteousness, you are going to be living what is right because you're following God, the very one who says everything that is right. Following God as your shepherd helps you to deal with all the tough moral questions and ethical questions that are out there. Follow God in God's direction toward God's righteousness according to God's word and you will do that which is righteous. Now an interesting point comes here the end of verse 3. Why does God do all this, you ask? Why does God lead us down the righteousness road? The Bible says God leads you in paths of righteousness for God's own name's sake. If you do a thorough study of the Bible, friends, you're going to find out that God does everything that God does for the sake of God's name, for the sake of God's reputation, for the sake of God's glory. So if anyone ever asks you what the number one thing in the entire universe is that we should be focused on, it is the glory of God. God created people. Why? For his own glory, Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7. God, when he forgives sins, he tells us he forgives us for his own name's sake, Isaiah 43, 25. As Jesus looked at the cross that was coming, he prayed that God would do what God had intended to do all along and glorify God's own name, John 17, verse 1. After Jesus went up to heaven, God gave the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says he did this for the praise of his glory, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. When Jesus comes back to this earth, because he's in heaven alive right now, and he's coming back, when Jesus comes back, the Bible says he will, 
He comes back to be marveled at. He comes back to be glorified, 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 9 and 10. And at the end of the age, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God, Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. So do you want to know the meaning of life? Maybe you're a new person just tuning in and watching our service today in this weird way that we're doing it. Maybe you want to know, why am I here? Why was I born? Why do I exist? You want to know, what do I need to do to actually have joy and happiness forever? You might want to know that. The answer is this. The glory of Almighty God. Do everything you do for the name and for the reputation, for the glory of God, and you will be doing the thing for which you were made. When you do what you were created to do, glorify God, then you will find that you are most happy and most ultimately fulfilled. I don't know if that's hard to understand or not. I'll illustrate it one way. I'd love to do it. And again, the kids can... You, the younger among us can get this. If you, if God had made you to be a car, what would make you happiest as a car? I want, if you were a car, what would make you the happiest? What was that? He doesn't know. Getting oil. Getting oil, okay, okay. Maybe driving, right? If you're a car, when you're going, that's the thing that'll make you happy. If you, probably. probably. If God made you an airplane, what would make you happiest? Probably flying. Well, God made you a person in his image. And the thing that will give you the most joy is when you do, when you glorify God and show the universe how great God is. Now, when I say it'll make you happiest, I'm not saying it means your life's going to be easy. You're not going to avoid sickness. You're not going to avoid dying someday. But it will, like a good hard day's work when you're done, it'll make you satisfied. But is life always green grass and still water? I think we know it's not, right? And we're going to see how to respond to that in our next point. Point number four for this morning. Since God is your shepherd, be comforted during times of trouble. Be comforted during times of trouble. Psalm 23, verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So notice right away here, the, the wording of the psalmist changes. He doesn't talk about God in the third person here for you grammar uh, folks. He doesn't say, the Lord is, or he makes me. Instead, the psalmist shifts us to a second person address. He talks to God. You are with me, he says. So whatever happens here, it makes the relationship between the psalmist and his God even more personal. And what happens here is something hard. It's the valley of the shadow of death. This could be the psalmist facing danger. Could be the psalmist facing the likelihood that he himself will die. It could be the psalmist facing a dark moment in his life, a shadow-like death. 
But whatever the shadow is, the psalmist is facing it. In fact, he's walking through it. There's no shrinking back here from death. There's no shrinking back from the shadow. A follower of God on occasion will walk through pain. And listen to me closely, church. How we handle ourselves during a time of pain speaks volumes about what we actually believe to be true of God. Notice again, you walk through the valley. No valley, no dark place is going to be permanent in the life of a believer. Even if the psalmist is walking directly to his own death, as a believer in God, he knows death is not the end of his life, but it's the beginning of a brand new life. Like a dark valley, there is light on the other side of the trial. There is eternity on the other side of our death. There is a new day on the other side of the hurtful, difficult, painful moments of life. And the psalmist and every Christian knows that we can find our hope in God in eternity. Now let me ask you another question. This is a good question. How... Did the sheep get into the valley of the shadow of death? If you're not careful, you're going to think the sheep wandered off, but the psalm doesn't give us that. The sheep got into the valley of the shadow of death by walking there, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. But in verse 3, we see that he was being led down a path of righteousness for the sake of the name of God. And here... The sheep walks into a difficult, hurtful, frightening time. Maybe he walks to his last moments of life, but there is no indication that this sheep in this psalm is not following his shepherd. In fact, we know the shepherd is right there with him. The shepherd is comforting him. So I think we can conclude that the shepherd led the sheep into the valley for the shepherd's namesake in just the same way that he led the sheep along paths of righteousness for his own namesake. When we go through hard times, we don't go through them without God. God is our shepherd, leading us into and out of the valley for the sake of his own glorious name. Never miss that, or you'll miss much of the purpose of your own life's struggles. Now, I'm not going to pretend to tell you why God chooses to do the things the way that he does them in our lives. But I can guarantee you this, when it's all said and done, everything that happened in your life will ultimately be turned to the praise of God's glory. The shepherd's rod and staff, they comfort us. Those are the tools a shepherd uses to lead and to protect his sheep. Sometimes they're even the tools that the shepherd uses to discipline a wayward sheep. They remind us that even when we're going through the valley, God is right there. He's strong and he's able to deliver us. He's powerful and he's able to protect us from every enemy. It's not that we don't fear ever, but our fear is driven away by the protection of the shepherd. It's not that we never hurt or never face danger, but we find our comfort in his protection. So are you in the valley? For you, do the times of green grass and still water seem super far in the past? So far back you can't even remember the green grass and the still valley? Remember, God is still right here. If you're in Christ, you have a shepherd who walks by your side through the valley. He protects you. He will comfort you. 
He leads you even through the pain for the glory of his name. And he will lead you out of the valley to the other side. In fact, the other side of the valley is what we see in point number five. Since God is your shepherd, receive his blessings with joy. Since God is your shepherd, receive his blessings with joy. Verses five and six say, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So we're on the other side of the valley. And now we have a glorious celebration. Because not all of life is dark and painful. Sometimes we find ourselves generously blessed by God. And this too is to the glory of God's name. Now, remember I told you at the beginning of this psalm, this kind of looks like a cartoon. This kind of looks like a picture that you could draw. The psalmist is a sheep, right? God is the shepherd. But now watch how cute this picture gets. This is great. The sheep, what's he doing? He is sitting at a banquet table with all kinds of great food in front of him. It's a lavish banquet in front of him. And the sheep is eating dinner in the presence of his enemies. Who are the, who are the sheep's enemies? It's the wolves, right? So the wolves have to sit across the way and watch the sheep at a table having a feast and the wolves can do nothing to hurt the sheep. How, how big is this feast? How extravagant is this feast? It's wonderful. The sheep's head is anointed with oil. This is, this is fancy. The sheep's cup is brimming over. He's got so much. But, but, we also know that the sheep is still being chased. There's somebody after the sheep. But it's not enemies this time. The Bible says goodness and loving kindness follow the sheep all the days of his life. And the Hebrew word there for follow is a word that my Old Testament prof told me is a word that is to be hunted or hounded or chased. So the sheep is hounded, but the two hunters that are after him are not out to do him harm. Goodness and loving kindness God's great everlasting love, his hesed, are chasing after the sheep. They're following the sheep and they're never going to leave the sheep alone. Well, but what about after the sheep leaves this world? What about when our lives come to an end? What happens to the sheep then? That is our final point, point number six. I hope you're still with me here. Since God is your shepherd... Look forward to eternity in his house. Since God is your shepherd, look forward to eternity in his house. Look at verse six. It says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. There's those hunters hounding the sheep. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the cartoon here picture, it is the most ridiculously beautiful scene ever. The sheep goes to live with the shepherd in his house 
forever. All right, how many of you have ever been around sheep? You can raise your hands if you want to. It doesn't matter at this point. How many of you have ever been around sheep? If you've been around sheep, you know something about sheep. They smell. They're stinky. Sheep do not live in the shepherd's house. Abigail's lucky we let Cheyenne live in our house. That took a lot. It's because she's not stinky, is she? She's a good dog. But this sheep, he's so loved by his shepherd that he dwells in the shepherd's house with him forever. David is saying that he and everyone who truly knows the Lord is going to live with God forever, even beyond our days on this earth. Forever we live in God's house. Forever we give honor and glory to God's name. Forever God satisfies our souls because giving glory and honor to God's name is the thing that will make us happy. Forever we do the thing we were created by God to do. And forever that gives your heart just soul-filling joy. So today, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to be comforted by the hope of eternal life with him. Christians who know God and follow God have God's sure, irrevocable guarantee that our eternity is going to be full of blessing. That's what we live for. We don't live for the comforts of this life. We don't live for the ease of this life. We don't live for the joys that America or whatever country you're in can give you. We live for something greater. Your hope is not in this world. Your hope is in eternity. And we long for the day when that hope is ultimately and finally fulfilled. So Christians, look forward to the hope that you have in eternity. That's a good picture, guys. Now, let me close with one last observation for us here. Sheep in the Bible are very often used as sacrifices. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, sheep were killed and pretty brutally as a payment for sin. You and I should be those sheep. We're not supposed to be by the way we've behaved, what we've earned anyway. We haven't earned the life of the sheep in the shepherd's house. We deserve to be the sacrifices. We're sinners before God who is holy. We deserve to be hounded not by goodness and loving kindness, but by judgment and wrath and justice. We deserve to suffer the fury of God because of every sin we've ever committed against God. And since God's holiness is perfect, since God's perfection is forever we deserve to have to pay a forever price, an infinite price, because we've sinned against God. Put plainly, we all deserve to go to hell for eternity because we've sinned in front of an infinitely holy God. But the only way we cannot be hounded by wrath and judgment is because God chose to take his wrath and judgment out on somebody else in our place. You and I deserve God's wrath. God chose to pour that wrath out on his son, Jesus. Jesus died in our place. He suffered in our place. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter for our sakes. He suffered the wrath I deserve for my sins and that you deserve for your sins. Since Jesus is God the Son, since Jesus is the good shepherd, he was able to pay all the price for all the sins of all the people who will ever come to him. Go back and reread Isaiah 53 sometime. 
and watch the scene as Isaiah showed it to us 700 years before it took place. Watch the Son of God, the Good Shepherd, giving up his life as a sacrifice for many. If you want God to be your shepherd today, if you want to be able to trust him in times of need, if you want to be able to rest in him during times of peace, if you want to be able to follow him toward righteousness, if you want to be comforted in troubling times, if you want to be able to receive his blessings with joy, if you want to live for eternity in his house, you have to first become his child by receiving his gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. Listen to me. Believe that God is and God is perfect. Believe that you're a sinner who needs God's grace. Believe Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sin. And bring your life to Jesus. Ask Jesus to change your heart from that of a dead sinner to a living follower. Place your trust in the work of Jesus and the work of Jesus alone for your salvation. Turn away from sin. Turn away from being the boss of your life and run to Jesus to be forgiven because he died and rose from the grave. If you do that, God will forgive you of your sin and God will forever be your good shepherd. Let's pray together. Lord God, we bow and we ask you this. Be our shepherd. For those who don't know you, I pray that they will come to you for grace in Christ. For those who do know you, I pray that they will find comfort and hope in this beautiful word. That's our prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen.